Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood. It was created in our kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton, and it all started with a simple idea. What began as Laird's secret for long-lasting energy on the waves is now Laird Superfood, offering a full range of delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and more. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 and save 20% on your first order. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Hello, friends. Jack, Flight School O'Brien here, uh, also known as Jack. Still can touch Ned if I get a running start and haven't eaten heavy breakfast. O'Brien, uh, both nicknames that I go by. Inviting you to check out Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties for a weekly basketball conversation with me and my co-host from the Daily Zeitgeist, Miles Gray. We are joined by comedians, writers, podcasters, and fellow NBA fans as we discuss the latest news and events from around the league. Check it out. Miles and Jack Got Mad Boosties. Brought to you by the first ever Toyota Grand Highlander. Welcome to Car Stuff, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hello and welcome to Car Stuff. I'm your host, Scott Benjamin, and today we're going to do something just a little bit different. We've had a, a kind of a new round, a new uh, a new rebirth of, of Car Stuff here, and you've only heard me on the microphone, and uh, it's been a little bit awkward, I'll be honest with you. I've been trying my best to kind of get the, the hang of this, um, you know, this monologue versus a conversation, because... You know, if you're a longtime Car Stuff listener, you know that, you know, Ben and I had this show going together for a long, long time, and it was a, a good conversation, a back-and-forth talk that we had every week for um, a good, what, nine years, I think. It was great. I mean, we had a lot of fun, and uh, we were able to, um, I think we made the best out of each show. We were able to, you know, really kind of draw from each other and, and kind of play off each other and make things work, and, and it just wasn't working out for me in the early part of this, the first few episodes, and I, I tried, and I just never got it, and... I found a way, I think, around this, and, and I've got somebody here to help me out today that um, I think you guys are going to like a lot. He's uh, he's my producer. His name is Kurt Guerin, and Kurt is uh, is staring at me right now from across the table the uh, in, in Ben's old seat, I guess. And uh, and Kurt and you and I have done a couple of episodes of another show called The Fast Track already, but but no one here on Car Stuff quite knows you yet if they're not a listener of The Fast Track as well. So, Kurt... Tell us just a little bit about yourself. It doesn't have to be anything too in-depth, and I'll, I'll help you along here as we go, because uh, I know it's, it's a little bit awkward to introduce yourself and, and talk about yourself. It, let us know just a little bit about you. You're into cars, right? My interest in cars is a bit different from yours, Scott. I'm more of a fan of the design of the cars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm more of a uh, an observer. I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily a driver, although you know I put around town in my car every day. Yeah. I'm not a guy that's going to go out to the racetrack and uh, race my car around. However, I did did race bicycles for a time. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so that's how I got my racing fix. So you're a bike guy? Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? There's a, a huge tie-in between auto manufacturers and bicycle manufacturers Most definitely. Uh, in the history of, of, of cars. So uh, that's something that we can definitely talk about in the future. But I know that, you know, I think you're selling yourself a little bit short here on this. I think that you know more than you're letting on because you and I talk off air a lot. I mean, we have a lot of conversations that are not behind the microphone. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think you're holding back on me. I think you're sandbagging because <laughs> uh, you, you did it. You had a BMW for a while. Yeah, uh, you don't drive that anymore. You drive something else now. But um, you had a BMW for a while. You've had an interest in cars. Uh, you, I think, you know more about cars than you're letting on. Yeah. I really do. And we'll, we'll find that. We'll, we're going to draw that out of you. And the good part about this show, about car stuff, is that this conversation goes so many different directions. You know, car stuff is about a little bit of everything. It's not just automobiles, as you know. It's it's about planes, trains boats, you know, anything, it floats, flies, what's the, I forget the line, the tagline that we use now, but uh, <laughs> just about anything that, um, you know, is a, a form of transportation or, you know, mechanical in any way, we just, we'd love to talk about that stuff, and I think you're going to fit right in with this, and I know you will, because, the, you know, what we talk about off-air 
is right along the lines of exactly what we do here on Car Stuff. So um, I think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing your voice in, in you know, on, not only on this episode, but in the future. And, uh, and I'm happy to have you uh, because it does kind of smooth out uh, all of this. And I, I, gosh, I'm, I'm talking just me right now. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm thinking, but, uh, you know, it's, it's just a whole lot easier when you've got someone to talk to uh, across the table than, uh, you know, if you're trying to do this all yourself and, and keep the conversation going. So I really appreciate you being here with me. And, uh, and I know you're going to grow into this role flawlessly. I think it's going to work out really well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and Thanks and, for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And, and you know what? And we have already, like I said, we've already recorded a few episodes of the Fast Track where you're on air. We're already, you know, published and everything. So if you, you know, if listeners want to go over there and listen to that, it's, uh, you know, you do that. It's thefasttrackshow.com. And you can check out our podcast there as well. So let's move on to today's topic. How about that? Sounds good. All right. So let's. Uh, you know, this is interesting. We in the uh, in the time that we were off, you know, there's an early point when a podcast is going to come back that they leak a little bit of information out and say that and say, hey, you know, maybe the show is going to come back in in the near future and maybe draw up a little bit of interest, right? Well, some of our uh, our previous listeners heard about that and they wrote in. They were excited about it, which I'm. I'm Super glad to hear from some of our, our listeners from the past. Uh, one of them was Josh Baker. Now, Josh Baker is somebody who has been writing to car stuff for, it uh, seems like a decade now at least, if not longer. And Josh wrote in with this, this really long list of great topics that he had been thinking about ever since we went off air back in 2017 and has some fantastic ideas. And one of the ideas that I, I picked for early on here in, in this, uh, in this um, series is to cover the outrageous 1970s hot rods as a topic. And I thought, okay, well, that's that's interesting. And I, I, I knew that there were some, you know, and I, I remember seeing a few. And, you know, I, I knew that that era was something special, I guess, for hot rods, something different, I should say, because yeah. every era, every decade has its own kind of look and feel. But I never really, like, dug deeply into some of the, the crazier 1970s hot rods, and there are some ridiculous hot rods, and I'll, I'll call them ridiculous. You know, I don't mean to be disparaging to them, but I'm going to call them some funny names here today, and I think you sure. probably will too, because they're not like. Uh, I, well, I mean, they're in. ridiculous, but they're also iconic. They're yeah. definitely when you look at a lot of these uh, vehicles, you see the 70s all in the little details of the cars. Oh, absolutely, the colors, the the use of materials. Yeah, the upholstery, everything is kind of got that funky 70s feel to it. Oh, sure. And, of course, they were all photographed during that time, so they're going to have, you know, models with them that, you know, exemplify that that Mm -hmm. era as well. And, you know, it's interesting because, again, I think every era has its own look and feel. And, of course, you know, there were the the big fins in the 1950s, and then there's the 1960s, which were, like, very, um, I think they were heavily influenced by space, uh, you know, yeah, and space, space travel age. and space age. Yeah. And, you know, everything had a dome top and had, you know. They had again, rounded glass windows. And sure. Yeah, they look like spaceships on the ground, really. Definitely. And then the 1970s, uh, we'll, we'll talk about those in just a minute. And then, of course, the 1980s had its own look in the 1990s. You know, it, it just, it progresses with every decade, as you would expect. But there were some customizers out there that just went completely off the deep end, really. Yeah. I mean, when you look at some of these, and, and I'll mention some names here, and some of these names are going to be familiar to you. Some of them are not going to be familiar to you. Uh, so there's, uh, of course, we have to mention the big one first, George Barris. George Barris is a big one. We'll talk about specifics with George Barris uh, in just a moment and a, a couple of others as we go through this list. But I want to mention a few. There's Chuck Miller. There's Ray Farner. There's Ed Big Daddy Roth, who we did a, an entire Car Stuff episode on many years ago. Uh, Dean Jeffries is another one. And then there's Bob Reisner. And then there's a guy named Bill the Lead Slinger Hines, which I think is a cool nickname, the Lead Slinger Hines. Um, and, of course, you know, there's there's many, many others. There's there's so many big names that, that go along with these. And, of course, they're all custom designs. They're all, all one of a kind typically. There might be, you know, some situations where there was a second one made in order to travel in a, in a show or something maybe. But really, most of them were all custom made. They were all individual one-of-a-kind pieces that, you know, would tour with uh, Autorama or, you know, some show like that or would just be simply for a magazine cover. And, you know, would get the press that they needed, get the name out there, get, you know, the the, uh, the notoriety 
and you know the the shop would get you know whatever kind of publicity that it could from that. So would the manufacturer. So would you know, the suppliers that that help put together the interior or help you know chrome the pieces or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was what that was all about. They were really trying to just get their name out there and become a popular name in this this kind of hot rod culture. And I, I do want to say this now. You're you're a fan of um, American Graffiti. I know that, right? Oh yeah. Okay, so in American Graffiti, now there's some really look cool looking cars. Yeah, but they're fast too. They're they're like they're fast. They're they're um, driven by high school kids. You yeah. know that are that are like slightly modified, not slightly, but they're modifying the cars in a way that's not like what we're talking about here with these these hot rod modifications. These mm-hmm. these custom builders because these this is another these are more ballpark. like you know, wacky visual pieces. The car is a work of art and not in the traditional sense of how older cars used to be. These are exaggerated wacky designs that are supposed to give you a certain emotion. For example, when you look at the Batmobile, the original Batmobile that Barris did, Mm -hmm. you don't see the car that it came from. You see, you know, you see the Batmobile and it has a unique look to it. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the same feeling you get when you see a 1957 Chevy or something like that. Okay, that's exactly what I mean. There's a difference between hot rods that are made by people in their own garage. You know, mm-hmm. like they're between something that someone modifies to be kind of a cool street car. And, of mm-hmm. course, it's a hot ride. It's got chrome wheels. It's got chrome exhaust, chrome engine, all that stuff. And, you know, the interiors matching the exterior and it paints beautiful, you know, all that. It's one thing. Mm-hmm. What these guys did, what, you know, the list of, of names that I just read and some of the others that we'll talk about, what they did with a hot rod was something off the deep end. It was a complete – it's like a um, it's like a rolling – you said a rolling, rolling work of art. I guess that's a way to put it. But it, to me, and, and in a lot of cases, this actually happened, but um, like a Hot Wheels car in real life. Yeah. You know, like just that, yeah. that insane design that you would never think you would see on the road. It, just a one-off car. Like the, it's just a it, one-of-a-kind custom design that has, you know, the, the, the look and feel that exemplifies mm-hmm. uh, that era that it was built in. And I think that these cars that we're going to discuss today, I've got a, a list here in front of me, and a few of them that I've have um, a little bit of personal experience with, believe it or not, um, and if you can call it that, that uh, I, I think it's, it's fascinating. And hopefully, it, and I, I say this for every episode, and, and you'll find this, Kurt, as, as we go through and record more and more of these episodes, is that I always encourage our listeners in car stuff to uh, investigate things further. So let's say that, you know, you and I are talking about these hot rod show cars from the 1970s, and we mention a specific one. And I'll tell you the very first one we're going to talk about without talking about it yet. We're going to talk about the Red Baron car. Mm -hmm. And the Red Baron car is something really unique, and you have to – you kind of have to see it in order to understand what we're going to talk about. We'll we'll try. You know, theater theater of the mind. That's uh, that's the important part here, right? Yeah. Well, we'll do our best, but – you have to see it in order to understand. And when we get to some of these others, <laughs> and I'm laughing already because some are so ridiculous. Yeah. Some are so absurd that you absolutely have to see them to understand what we're talking about. And I'll try. I'll try my best to describe them. Yeah. I mean, some of these, they put um, like lawn furniture as the seats in the car and like <laughs> toilets as the driver's <laughs> yes. seat. It's not yes. like what you would think of as being an actual car. I mean, it has four wheels on it. Yeah. But it's almost like it has different elements built into it that are interesting and that you can look at and say, whoa, that's a lawn furniture is, is a driver and passenger seat. That's, yeah. that's interesting. What's what were they thinking? It's interesting, but, uh, you know, I'll just say it. It's interesting, but stupid. And not util- yeah. <laughs> it's not utilitarian. <laughs> no, and I don't mean to be too harsh on these because um, I know that, you know, looking back, um, you know, you could look at these designs and say that they're gaudy and they're garish and they're they're outrageous and all that. But, you know, at the time, people kind of looked at them like, oh, that's kind of cool. That's a, that's a funky design. I like it. I like that, you know, they're, they're kind of bucking the system they're they're going their own way with this you yeah know? like it was the, it was the feel of the time it was you know what they were doing mm-hmm. and even so i still think i still think that guys like barris and big daddy roth and i think they were still of course they were pushing the limit they were making things just uh, absurd yeah. in, in a good way mm-hmm. um and they were doing it on purpose to elicit that emotion from people because otherwise who's going to pay attention to it yeah. No one's going to bother to come and see your car at the Autorama show if it's at the – I said that weird, didn't I? If, it, if you come to the Autorama show, <laughs> I don't know how to say that now. That's weird. One of those words, like I don't know where the emphasis should be on that syllable. <laughs> but um, um, if you – say the uh, – you know, you're going to have the Autorama show in Detroit or you're going to have it in Chicago or somewhere. 
How are you going to draw a crowd if you don't have anything that's more than just like a pedestrian version of what you see your neighbor building in his garage? Yeah. And what I find is these um, these particular cars, they draw you in from afar. You, you say like, whoa, look at that thing. Yeah. And then when you get close into it, you notice other little details that are interesting too. Oh, sure. Yeah. And that's something that they really did. They paid attention to every little tiny detail. And that's pretty important in these. And, and I don't know if we're going to really like really get deep, deep, deep into that. But I, I do want to describe some of these cars and maybe get some people to go and look at some photos of these cars a- a with us as we talk about them. And maybe we can do that in the next segment because we are going to take a break right now. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. And we're back, and you're listening to Car Stuff, and I'm your host, Scott Benjamin, along with uh, Kurt. Kurt, you're here still. I'm still here. You hung around. You decided to uh, stick around after the break. Yep, hanging in there. Fantastic. Thank you. I hope you you continue to do that for the end of the show, and hopefully for many shows to come. Are you, en- you enjoying this so far? Absolutely. Okay, good. All right. Well, let's see uh, let's see how this goes then. Let's see if I can push you to the limit. <laughs> no, I'm not going to I'm not going to throw any uh, wrenches your way, okay? Okay. So, uh, I think we left off saying that, you know, we we had quite a list of customizers from the 1970s. A lot of people that were trying to make their name and try, well, they already had made their name or were making their name in the world of of customizing cars, but not in in a way that, you know, you would do in your own garage. This is something that's above and beyond that. Something outrageous. And uh, I've got a list here of some cars. I told you the name of one already that, you know, it's called the Red Baron. Mm-hmm. And the Red Baron is uh, is one hot ride that we're going to talk about. But there's a, a four or five or maybe even six that we want to talk about. Not so much in depth, but more just like I want people to be aware of them and maybe look at them as good examples of what the 1970s produced or what these people produced in the 1970s maybe. And 
Uh, maybe just get a little bit of your feedback on these. And I'll, I will tell you this, that I, I, a couple of years ago, and I don't know if I ever got to mention this on Car Stuff because it was right around the time when uh, we went off the air in the end of, at the end of 2017. It was close to that. I went to the Midwest on a, on a trip, a little road trip, and I went to a place called the uh, Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed, and it's in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I might have I might have been able to mention, I think I did, in, uh, now that I think about it, I think I said this is kind of a hidden gem out here in the middle of nowhere, it seems like. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not nowhere, but you know what I mean. It's unexpected where it is. So the Speedway Motors Museum of American Speed, and I've got, I guess maybe an interesting thing that I want to mention about that museum right now is that they have two of the hot rods that we're going to be talking about on display. And the, I mean, we're talking about the actual ones, the ones from the, uh, you know, the magazine covers, you know, the ones that made the Autorama circuit. We're talking about the Red Baron and another one that we're going to talk about in just a moment called the Boot Hill Express. Those are both on display. And the Red Baron is something that came about like many of these cars did, as Josh Baker pointed out in his letter to us, his email to us, that a lot of these cars actually started out as models or kit cars that, you know, children could put together on the desktop or, you know, adults, I guess, could put together on their tabletop and make a really cool-looking hot rod, but they were just a toy. You know, they started out as just a toy or even, you know, a Hot Wheels toy or something like that. But a lot of these started out as a model or a kit car. In fact, this one did. A scale model designer by the name of Tom Daniel, he conceived the Red Baron car for a company called Monogram. And if you know the Monogram company, they've produced a lot of fantastic car models over the years. And this was happening back in around 1967, I believe, when he conceived this whole idea. And the model kit was released in 1968, sold more than 2 million units. It was an extremely popular model at the time. So Mattel decided that they were going to jump on the bandwagon as well. Mattel decided that they were going to build a Hot Wheel car of, of this as well. So if you can find a Red Baron Hot Wheel car, I think it's worth a decent amount of money at this point. It's kind of a collector's item. I don't know so much about the uh, the monogram model because so many were produced, but I think if you can find one of the, the Hot Wheels cars, they are worth something at this point. But a guy by the name of Chuck Miller at a place called Styline, I think it's called Styline Customs, he decided that he was going to build a full-size Red Baron car, which I think is a, a cool idea, you know, to be able to look at a, a model car on the shelf and say, you know what, I want to drive that for real. I want that to be a real thing. But he was going to pay $10,000 in order to build this car, to have it built. And this is back in, again, the late 1960s. The original car, there's a little bit of variance in this car because the original kit car, the model car, came with what would be a 1914 Mercedes-Benz inline six-cylinder engine that was from a Fokker airplane. And so, obviously, there's not a whole lot of those available, <laughs> not, not a lot of them on the market, not, not easy to find. So, what they did was they, uh, they got a, instead, they got a 1968 Pontiac overhead cam six-cylinder engine, and that's what powers the Red Baron. And uh, this car, if you've, if you've ever seen it, it's really remarkable, and it's a mm-hmm. strange, it's an interesting design, I think, and it's one of the cooler-looking hot rides. I think it kind of stands up to the test of time. Like, I think this would be a cool hot ride to see on the road today. Definitely. I, I don't feel like this one has like that bizarre 70, late 60s, early 70s feel to it. This one, it's definitely wild. It's mm-hmm. definitely out there. But it, it there's something about this that is still like still timely, you know? This one seems like it was maybe built in the late 60s, early 70s, but the design kind of feeds off of that World War I era. Sure. You know, it has the helmet and the iron cross on the side. Yeah. A spike on the top of the helmet. Mm -hmm. It just seems like even though it was built in the 70s or late 60s. Late 60s, early 70s, yeah. um, The design of it was conceived years before that. Well, you know, just to show you how long this this design did hold up and people were still interested in seeing this thing, it, it did tour the country as part of the traveling Autorama show. It stayed with the show until the 1990s. Mm-hmm. So it did hold up, and then it was retired from service, and that's when it uh, it went to live at the Speedway Motors Museum that I was talking about, the, Amer- the Museum of American Speed. But it's a, it's a really, really cool car, I think. If you get a chance, look it up online. It's called the Red Baron Hot Rod. It's probably one, you know, I, I would think that most people have probably already seen this. You might not know what it's called. You might yeah. say, like, oh, I remember that from when I was a kid. I built that model, or I saw mm-hmm. that Hot Wheel or I saw a magazine cover in some automotive shop or something that had that on it, you know, but it was it was something that was around for decades. For some reason, that one held up. And we're going to talk about some that do not hold up for sure. The next one, I think, is on the border, I guess, maybe. This one, I don't know if it does or not. 
It's uh, it's the Boot Hill Express, and again, this one lives at the same museum that I'm talking about uh, in Lincoln, Nebraska, the Museum of American Speed, and it's based on, this is a really interesting one, this is built by Ray Farner, it's based on the 1850s funeral coach that supposedly carried a, an actual James Gang member named Bob Younger to his grave, which I think is pretty cool. I mean, if this is real, I mean, I don't, I don't know the validity of that statement. I don't know if this is, if this is the actual stage. What do you think? Do you think there's any, any, uh, any truth to that, or do you think that this is, uh, you know, someone pulling a fast one? I on feel us? like it might, maybe a little bit of a fast one. You do? Yeah, but it definitely has that look. I mean, yeah, it looks like it could have been pulled by a horse. I mean, it's, or two. if nothing else, it's a perfect recreation of it. But it, there are many scale models that were made, of the, you know, of this thing, of course. But it's probably one of the, the crazier creations that, that were ever made or developed in, in this time frame as well. Because it's just such a strange thing, right, to take an 1850s funeral coach and create a hot rod out of it. I mean, who would ever think of that? But then again, you know, this list, who would ever think of taking, okay, I'm going to mention one that we're not going to go too deep into here. But who would ever think of taking an outhouse and making that into a hot rod? Someone did. Yeah. There, there's one called the outhouse rod, and the outhouse rod is uh, is exactly what you would think it is. It looks like a, a Model T, you know, bucket, you know, hot rod or whatever. But it is. It, it looks like an outhouse on wheels. It's it's ridiculous. We, you and I, we had just a brief conversation about this one in particular. In that these aren't just your your ordinary. You know, I'm going to put gold rims on something or, or chrome rims on something, or you know, I'm not going to. Um, I don't know, jack it up or lower it or whatever. This is a statement. This is this is like somebody's personality in some way, as you put it. Mm-hmm. This is somebody's personality they're trying to not force on you, but trying to tell you something with their design. And they're yelling it at you with these types of designs. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people with their cars, they put subtle touches there that make you say like, oh, that's cool. But this, these are basically in your face. This is what I'm saying. You know, I see that. Okay, I see what you're saying and I, I get it. And I understand what, you, what you're talking about when you look at maybe like the cars of uh, um, like Ed Roth. You know, mm-hmm. you look at some of those and those some of the crazy creations that he had, and they were interesting. But like, what do you what do you do when you've got a, a an outhouse car? Like, what's that personality? And I know yeah, you don't. I, don't, I, I know you don't I have, have the no answer to that. I, I know you don't, and I don't either. <laughs> I don't have the answer to that. But what is someone's personality when they are, are, are again screaming at you? You know, here's here's my creation, but it's it's an outhouse on on a hot rod chassis. I don't know. It's I, weird. It's just the. It's that far out mindset of the late '60s bleeding over into the '70s. Where do you go after the '60s? I guess so. I, you, you know, go I, to an outhouse <laughs> hot rod. I guess so. You know, and it's funny because, you know, I mean, to each his own, right? I mean, it's fine. The person wants to build it, fantastic. And it's an interesting looking hot. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say it's beautiful, but that's just me. Some people might think it's beautiful. It's different. It's it's unique, of course. It's probably fast, if I had to guess. It looks fast. Mm -hmm. It's got a giant chrome engine in the front of it. I don't know what the engine is, but it's huge. I don't know. These are just so fast. Like, all of them are fascinating. One, One to me that I just, I don't know if I will ever ever get this one. And this is the next one on our list. This is one that you absolutely have to look up in order to uh, to understand what we're talking about. Or you can try if, if you want. If you're driving in your car, you can try to understand. It's called the bathtub rod. <laughs> there's a couple versions of this. There's the bathtub rod, and then there's also another car that's called the bathtub buggy. Now, the bathtub rod was built by a guy named uh, Rob Reisner in 1968. So, again, this is the late 60s, kind of bleeding over into the 1970s, but carried on through the 70s. Mm-hmm. The bathtub buggy was a sort of similar bathtub hot rod that was built by George Barris. Mm-hmm. And Barris, I think, was also promoting the Rob Reisner car. And it, this is the, where the, uh, the connection is made here. So, he's kind of promoting the bathtub <laughs> – I'll try to keep this straight – the bathtub rod – by Reisner, and he's at the same time builds the bathtub buggy himself as kind of his own expression of the same thing, whatever that thing is. Now that we're getting back to what are you, what are you doing with this car, George? What, why are you building this? When you look at <laughs> these designs, and I'll, I'll maybe you should describe them. Well, the yeah, okay, I'll try to. Okay, the, the bathtub rod, from what I remember, you have two bathtubs at the back. That's the passenger seats, and then a toilet <laughs> for the driver's seat. <laughs> Toilet. Kind of yellowish <laughs> upholstery yes. in there. So it's real, just real, real funky. Yeah. And it's quilted. Uh, yeah. Quilted, bol- yeah. Uh, quilted upholstery. Yeah. yeah. And, but the, but the seats, like, okay, so you're laying down in a bathtub in the back as like a, a, a you know, left and rear passenger. It's a three-seater car, really, if you want to put it that way. Yeah. Um, it has, 
lots of gold on it. Mm-hmm. Of course, the, the the you know the driver, as you said, is sitting on a, a throne, <laughs> sitting <laughs> on a toilet, right, with with lots of upholstery, and then the engine, which is crazy. Uh, the engine is like a. It looks like a. It's a twin blown engine. <laughs> And I think it's like a big Chrysler, a big Hemi engine or something. It's it's enormous, <laughs> and the uh, the exhaust pipes, of course, are something spectacular looking as well. You mm-hmm. know, they've they've really done a lot of work on this. But they run the full length of the car on both sides. Um, you know, laid out in in order in line, so you have to step over them. I don't know how you would ever get over these pipes without burning your legs. I don't think there's any way. You have to get in. You probably have to get into and out of the car through the back, if I had to guess. Mm-hmm. Just it's the most bizarre looking thing. Now they're gold rims. It's it definitely looks like just like a like a hot rod chassis with a couple of bathtubs and a toilet strapped to it. Yeah. It's it's that easy, but I mean it's it's much more ornate than I'm giving it credit for. It's it's yeah, it's got definitely. a lot of it's got a lot of things going on for it and not all good, of course. You know, I don't I don't think so. I don't yeah. think that they're all good. And I've recently seen that uh, this car turned up at a swap meet or something or someone's garage maybe. There's an article and I, I don't have it in front of me right now and, and I'll try my best maybe in a future episode to, to come up with this, but somebody has found this car and it's fallen apart. The upholstery's decaying and mm. you know, it looks like the paint there was there was at some point paint on the side of the bathtubs. That's kind of faded and gone away and you know, it's just the chrome is all tarnished and it's it's kind of a mess. Mm-hmm. Someone has taken that car and they're trying to restore the car to its original glory, if you want to call it that. Uh, it's, that's good. It's bathroom glory. That's yeah, good. a lot of these. I mean, the Red Baron car is beautiful still. Yeah, obviously that's one that stayed in museums and sure. And and uh, you know this one, and I'll tell, I'll tell you that I I feel like this car is it, it's interesting and it'd be cool to own something that's unique, one of a kind like this. Is it better off in a museum or is it better off? I mean, I don't know if there's even a better off, but is it better off like touring with like a, a modern version of the Autorama? Is it, uh, yeah. is it, is it, should it make a show circuit? Should it be even, I don't think that it would be on car covers anymore. It's, we just don't do this kind of thing anymore, really. Yeah. Uh, maybe there's some obscure car magazine out there that would would feature it, but um, not anymore. And that's what these were originally intended there's for. There's people that'll remember magazines. and Yeah. And, I, you know, I know they're still there. I mean, you go to the, you go to the uh, bookstore, you go to uh, even the grocery store or whatever, you still see them on the rack. They're there, still but, there. Yeah. But they're not, you know. They're not flying off the shelf. No. <laughs> yeah, they used to, oh, even, I, even 10 years ago. Trust me. I, I was one, that, I was a kid that would wait in line, not wait in line, but I guess wait for them to put the, uh, you know, the newest trade in times on the, on the shelf mm-hmm. so I could, you know, check out what the tiny little postage stamp ads for cars that were for sale, even if I wasn't looking because yeah. I was excited about, you know, reading that type of thing. Yeah. I mean, we're spoiled now. We can go and see someone walking around all of these cars we're talking about oh. with a camera. <laughs> you used to have to, use, when you looked at it, if you didn't go in person, you would be looking and having to use your imagination, like what you thought. Oh, like sure. Th- what you thought this car looked like on the inside based on what you can see from afar. Sure. I don't know. That was kind of the cool thing about it, too. It's different world. Yeah. It's different world, man. And you know what? Maybe that's a future episode, too, of like how things have changed from that because we are not going to the magazines anymore. Check things out. We're not going to the trading times and looking at print ads where the, the person who's selling a vehicle, you know, has three lines and they're using all those abbreviations. You remember all the little abbreviations mm-hmm. for, you know, like, um, you know, power steering, power, mm-hmm. power windows, whatever it was. They're not doing that anymore. Now they've got as much space as they want. They can show you a hundred photos of the car if they want. You can request specific photos sent to you of that car. You know, it's just, it's it's all different. Yeah. I think that's a, a rich topic we can dig into. Well, even with a lot of the fine-tuning that we see on cars these days, didn't it didn't used to be like that. Yeah. And it yeah. might be because of that visual. Like, now you can get up close to it, and you can see a million pictures and videos and... Mm-hmm. Um, More exacting like that, standards. It's kind of like how with nostalgia, you remember all the good things. All the fans of cars remember, like, how great cars used to be. Yeah. And how much better they used to be. <laughs> but they forget it's how... Not- crappy they were too, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I think back to, you know, like, uh, and I know we're off track here for a moment, but it will get back. So yeah, I think you're exactly right because I, re- I remember thinking back to my first car and mm-hmm. it was an old Trans Am, like a 1978 Trans Am. And it was, I mean, to be honest with you, it was a pile of crap. It was mm-hmm. terrible, terrible car. A lot, a lot of things wrong with it, but I loved the car and I would probably even buy that car back again if I could just because of the nostalgia factor. Sure. And it, I know it would be ridiculous and it would be a mistake, but I look back <laughs> at it and I think that that's something that I would like to do. And I think a lot of people have those rose-colored glasses when they look back at the past and decide, sure, I love my... Um, you know, my uh, 1971 Mustang back then, mm-hmm. would you love it just as much now as a, as a daily driver? I mean, it might be a fun weekend car or something, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's not it's not what you thought it was. Yeah. 
And, you know, back then it's different. It's different. And, you know, that's a good point. We should we should really delve into some of the stuff we've got. There's there's a a lot of material here that I think you and I can talk about in the future. So so let's do it. And uh, but but right now, you know, let's delve back into some of these 1970s hot rods. How about that? Which one's next? Just a couple more. Let's talk about um, how about the Munster coach? A lot of people can, uh, you know, remember the Munster coach. I think this is a pretty cool car. Now, this is actually three. Model T bodies that were put together uh, to make a 133-inch frame, which is uh, it's about 18 feet long. So it's a big, long car. Now, this is, of course, a George Barris build. Yeah. He built the Munster Coach. It was his idea. And in 1964, oh, you know what, this is 1964, but it does carry over through the 1970s. The cost to build this first car was something like $18,000. Now, it does say first car, so I wonder what that means. If there were other versions of the uh, the Munster coach along the way, or if they just simply built another one because it was a television car. It had things like blood red velvet interior. Of course, <laughs> they use blood red. Mm-hmm. Um, they said it took 500 hours to hand form the ornate rolled steel scroll work that they used in this. Now, that that's like um, well, 500 hours. I mean, imagine this. Okay, so 500 hours just for the just for the steel work that they're doing in this car, right? They only had 21 days to complete this whole project. So essentially, they're rolling steel the whole time that project is going on while somebody else is doing the rest of the stuff. So it's got a uh, it's got a little more power than you might think. It was powered by a, a 289 Ford Cobra engine from a 66 Mustang GT. They actually had a lot of uh, performance parts, like a Stromberg carburetor. It had an ISKI cam, racing headers from Bobby Barr. It had you know, a lot of uh, performance parts that they added to this thing. So it wasn't all just show. It wasn't like, you know, this is just a uh, car built for the set, the movie set, and mm-hmm. didn't really do anything. This was a, a performer. It was a real car. Well, I think even when they used it in the show, it was kind of funny when they would use it because it's like, wow, the, the monsters have a muscle car. You yeah, know, well, you know, they, they would take it out to the, uh, remember they took it to the drag strip. I know mm-hmm. they did. And, you know, of course, Herman Munster and oh, uh, Grandpa had his own car too, right? He yeah, had, yeah, he had Dragula. Yeah, that's right, or, Dragula. Yeah, that was a cool car too. So that, that was a little different though. Yeah. That wasn't like the big um, stagecoach. Yeah, it was a little coffin type car. <laughs> yeah. And right? uh, really cool looking too. There's one on the Barris site right now that is uh, like, it looks like a wooden car. And I don't know if that's a current project they're working on or what, but they have a different name for that one too, like um, Ratula or mm-hmm, something, like, something that. like that. Yeah, but it, it's not the same thing as Dragula. Dragula was, of course, Grandpa Munster's car, and it had the bubble canopy like you had talked about before, right? Mm-hmm. And you lay in a kind of a, a uh, what you, you, well, you lay down when you drive it, so your yeah. feet are in the, you're, you're, you're like laying down coffin. in the coffin, yeah, yeah, essentially, and you get your head sticking through the uh, the window. Giant engine up front, of course, it was, a, there was a lot of metal, it was, it was just a, a fascinating looking car, and it was a, uh, Probably pretty fast, uh, like the Munster's coach was. I don't have the details on what that one was powered by or anything here in front yeah. of me, but all of them are fascinating cars. Now, another one that was not a Barris car is uh, a, a car that was built by a guy named Dean Jeffries. And again, this is, a, a, again, another late 1960s car that was something that was popular throughout the 1970s. That's why we're including it here. Um, it was uh, the Monkey Mobile. And the Monkey Mobile has its own little bit of history, which is... Pretty interesting. I have a good feeling that this is why Josh Baker wanted to hear about this one. I think he included this one on the list for a reason. Um, He's a big GTO fan. And uh, we, (laughs) years and years, I've promised him that I'm going to do a GTO show. And I just have never done the GTO show. Josh, I'm I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, I, I know I'm using public airwaves to apologize to Josh, but um, I, I have uh, for years told him we were going to do a like an in-depth look at the GTO, and we will. You, you and I, and Kurt, talk about will, the judge we, and all that. We will do that, yes. Yeah. You and I, Kurt, will... <laughs> I'm saying it again. We'll do that. We'll do that at some point. But the, the, the basis for the Monkey Mobile, again, the idea of Dean Jeffries, was to build a car for this new TV show called The Monkeys. And, of course, I think, I think everybody knows The Monkeys, uh, the, the band. The mm-hmm. kind of a fi- What was the deal with them? Were they a real band or a fictional band? Because I think they're I think a real they were, band. They were a real band. Well, they were on the radio, but did sure. they, like, tour and everything? Or was it made by the studio, do you know? I, no, the, in the studio, there's albums are probably made by studio musicians. Okay. So but the, they definitely were a real band. I think they could all play. Is this like the first boy band without the dancing? Is that a good way to think of it? Yeah, I mean... It's like it's made by... It's probably made by Hollywood, right? Like they brought these guys together. Yeah. I think. I don't know. Maybe maybe it's something different. Now, what was that movie um, with a... Uh, 
it's not walk the line, but it's Dewey Cox is sitting there with the Beatles in India, and he says, man, I really like y'all's new album, man. Y'all are almost as good as the monkeys. <laughs> so That's pretty that, funny. Walk the was, Line is a Johnny Cash film. Yeah, but then so this one was it, Walk Hard or something. Oh, some, it was like okay. the, the lampoon of, uh, <laughs> of the Johnny Cash That's movie. funny. Well, I, I so never... That, when I think of the monkeys, I think of the beat, like they are kind of like trying to feed off of the Beatles' popularity. The sound, yeah, sure. The sound and the, the feel at the time. You know, you know what's funny? I, I mean, I don't ever, I've never claimed to be a music person or anybody that like really is like into music or listens to music or anything like that. So it's funny to well, have. Monkeys me- has some great songs. Yeah, I mean, I, Dream Believer. I, I know, I know them. I just track. don't know enough about them to talk about them in in an educated way. So I, I apologize if I've really screwed that up. But but what I'm thinking is that you know it's it just seems to me that these are like. It was like put together by Hollywood. It almost feel it felt a little too perfect. And yeah, you're right by saying that. I feel okay. like they definitely were a fabricated group okay. or handpicked at least. Well, they, as far as being musicians, I think they could play and they could sing. Sure, you know, they, yeah, sure. Oh, they could. Yeah, of course. I, I'm not trying to downplay you know any kind of uh, talent that they might have had. Well, in fact, a lot of groups at that time didn't play on their albums. Um, Good I know a lot of the Beach Boys records were, some of the parts were done by studio. Oh, Kurt, you're musicians. wrecking my childhood. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> but they could they'd still play shows. So. No, no, I'm not, I wasn't like a huge <laughs> Beach Boys fan either. Don't worry. Anyway, let's let's move on. All right, so I, let's, let's agree to this. I need to investigate the monkeys a little bit deeper and find out some more music history. Sure. How about that? Sure. Okay, we'll agree with that. <laughs> All right, so um, here's the deal with the monkey mobile. They were looking for a car for this uh, this new TV show called The Monkeys, and so Dean Jeffries, who is asked to kind of design and build this car, goes to a place called um, I think it's a place called Model Products Corporation or MPC, and he tells the CEO of that company about this project and what you know he needs to do, and then that guy told his friend, and his friend's name is Jim Wangers, W A N G E R S. And uh, this is this is where the uh, the GTO connection comes in because Jim Wangers, I guess, is in development with Pontiac Promotion and P- Pontiac the uh, the auto manufacturer or the division of General Motors, I mm-hmm. guess. And they at the time they have just launched the GTO and mm-hmm. they need to really promote it. And so this is a, a fantastic way for them to do that. And they supply so Jim Wangers supplies Model Products Corporation or MPC. Two base model, 389, four-barrel, 1966 GTO convertibles. Pretty nice gift, huh? Mm-hmm. He supplies those to them and says, you know, here they've got, these got a, um, these have an automatic transmission. You can convert these into your monkey mobiles for your, your show. And they did so. And, of course, later MPC is given rights to also create a, uh, a scale model version of this, you know, for the show as well. Promotional materials that mm-hmm. go along with it. And, of course, they sold a, a pile of them. I think they sold, you know, we said the Red Baron kit sold $2 million. Mm-hmm. The Monkey Mobile sold $7 million. Seven million kits. And, of course, you know, that type of exposure, because that was an important, well, not an important show, but it was a, uh, a popular show, The Monkees. Um, the Monkees show gave Pontiac the brand recognition for the GTO that they needed in order to sell the actual model itself because people, uh, they, they liked the car. They thought it was pretty cool. I mean, of course, it's a heavily modified version. It doesn't look a whole lot like the street version, but um, it's still an it, it, it's interesting way that they work together mm-hmm. and, and, you know, able to sell the real deal and the scale model cars as yeah, well. Yeah, it's uh, like how it still has GTO badge on the grill and everything, yeah. but it's exaggerated front end of the GTO. That's a good way to put it. It's almost like a, it's like a caricature of it itself, yeah. you know? And I think this thing didn't have like a parachute to stop it and all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. It had it had some almost like almost Batmobile esque features to it, mm-hmm. you know, and so, in that they were a little bit Cart- absurd. It was cartoony, in re- but in real life, like, even the header pipes where they come out from underneath the wheel wells yeah. kind of come out in a little different angles mm-hmm. and kind of look a little off kilter. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, they did the hot rod treatment to it, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they just gave it its uh, kind of the once over and made it look interesting and unique and cool. And people could, I guess, make the connection between the actual GTO and the monkey mobile in some way. Mm-hmm. And of course, they made the connection between the, the scale model kit. You know, which was wildly popular, apparently, and it sold. Gosh, even I mean, think of what seven million copies of those model kits would would amount to in profit for uh, the MPC after just kind of not falling into the deal, but just being in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, and what a, what a great deal! All right, so anyways, that worked out real well for everybody. Everybody. The last one that I want to mention here, I think, in this segment, and then we'll have some stuff that we'll that we'll talk about it toward the end of the show here too. But um, the last thing I want to cover right now is uh, something called the Panther Mobile. 
And the Panthermobile is another outlandish concept design. This is a car that was built in 1969, and it was built, again, right at the end of the 1960s. Uh, uh, it was built by a guy named Bob Reisner of California Show Cars and by a guy, another guy named Ed Newton, who went by the name of, nickname of Newt, of course. There was a TV personality involved. The guy's name was Dan Woods and then a couple of customizers. Uh, there was a guy named Joe Bellion. And then Bill, this is where the lead slinger comes in, Bill the lead slinger Hines and another guy named Bill Honda, of all things. I don't think there's any relation the Honda and Honda motor car there in that case. This is a car that was used in the Pink Panther movie in the title sequence and the original cartoon as well. So I I don't remember this. I watched the Pink Panther cartoons. I, of course, watched the movies. I don't remember this car one bit. I don't remember anything about it, but when I look at it, I seem to remember seeing a magazine or something like that, you know, that, that included this car somewhere along the line in the past. It's one of these, of course, it's a television car, but it, it has notoriety that's almost, believe it or not, along the lines of the Batmobile, the Monkey Mobile, the Monster Coach, all those, the Red Baron. But I don't think that this one is as well-known. I think, you know, they, they claim that it's as well-known, but I, I just don't think it is. I don't think it's one that many people are too familiar with. It's very angular, very... Um, yeah, it uh, it's like got a little a, like a little wedge design. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange design. It's very pointy almost. Mm-hmm. You know, looks the car almost has a sharp look to it, mm-hmm. and and I think that's different. It's not as rounded. It's not as smooth as some of the other ones we've seen. It's, it's kind of taking the uh, the concept idea in a different direction. Well, it's hard to tell what this car is based on. By yeah. looking at it, you wouldn't see that it uses a Oldsmobile chassis. As far as I know, and I don't know what parts were used for it. Of course, there is some kind of production car underneath there somewhere. Yeah. You know, there has to be. I don't think it was completely original. I don't think they built the frame up or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you this. I'll tell you that the Panthermobile in, in 1976, if you want to go with 1976 dollars, and I don't know why they did this because it was built in 1969, but they're saying 1976. They said it was $100,000 to build this car. And so that's a lot, that's significant uh, amount over what we talked about with the, um, um, what was it, the Red Baron, right? Mm-hmm. Which was $10,000 to build, which is still expensive. But if you look at $100,000 in 1976, if you were to, to start from the ground up and build that car again in, in 2019, it would cost you nearly half a million dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to be honest, I don't see it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I don't see spending half a million on that one. No. Now, there's a few other things that I would like to cover in just a moment. And and I have, a, you know, some pop culture references maybe that we can talk about and, and some other things that we want to discuss. And we'll do that right after a break. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. 
Hi, it's Gabby Reese, and this podcast is powered by Laird Superfood, a brand that's truly close to my heart because it was founded in my kitchen by my husband, big wave surfer Laird Hamilton. Today, Laird Superfood boasts an amazing lineup of products, all crafted with the highest quality plant-based ingredients. Think functional mushrooms, real fruits and veggies. What makes us unique? We're committed to using only real ingredients, no artificial and no natural flavors. Two of my absolute favorites are prebiotic daily greens, really great tasting, and we've added some mushrooms to support your gut even a little more. Then there's our instant latte lineup. We've got instant mocha, instant latte, chai. If you want to discover Laird Superfood, you can do it at your local retailer on Amazon or at LairdSuperfood.com. And if you put in the code GABBY2024 on our website, you'll get an exclusive 20% off your first purchase. And we're back and you're listening to Car Stuff. And I'm your host, Scott Benjamin, along with Kurt Guerin here again. Kurt, still checking still in. Still hanging in there. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know what? We're nearly through the show, Kurt. And, you, and you've held on the whole time. That's fantastic. Yeah. You, haven't, you haven't fled the studio yet. Nope. So maybe we can keep this going then. And maybe a couple hundred more shows. How For sure. That? Yeah. I need a few. I need <laughs> some practice. So let's do as, as many as you want to do. You know what? Go, if, I need to stop for just a second then. I'm going to tell you something. And okay. that's, that is, and this is for everybody to hear. That uh, if you go back, and I've said this so many times in the past, you go back to 2008 and you listen to the early episodes of Car Stuff when Ben and I first started, I was completely raw. Like I had no idea what I was doing behind the mic. I was it was so it was like early early days, and uh, and it was really rough. So um, I think you're doing a fantastic job, and I think that our listeners are going to understand that for your debut on Car Stuff, this is you're doing a great job. <laughs> I think so anyway. Well, thanks, Scott. And uh, and hopefully we'll get some uh, some listeners that chime in with the same information. Of course, Kurt's going to be refining his uh, his craft here. I'm I'm still working on getting back into uh, the rhythm here. I'm I'm feeling a little more loose now that we've got two of us here. One thing that I do want to bring up here is a couple more things that we wanted to talk about, and I don't know how much time we have really to spend on each one of these, but I thought that something that I could relate to because I was fairly young. I, I, I was born in 1971. Mm-hmm. So I was born at the start of the era that we're talking about for all these hot rods. Mm-hmm. And so by the time I was, you know, 10 years old and kind of really interested in this type of thing, you know, 8, 9, 10, going to these shows or reading the magazines or whatever, these cars had already been around for a decade. Where I had experience with the types of cars that we're talking about or cartoons of all yeah. places. And the cars that were used in these cartoons in particular in the 1970s just make me think of the ones that we've been talking about today. Yeah. These, uh, uh, most of them are Hanna-Barbera designs and uh, productions, I guess. They included a lot of hot rod type designs in their cars because that was kind of the pop culture thing to do at the time. And, and teens thought they were cool. And, you know, it was just a cool thing to do. It was the West Coast thing to do. And that's where those studios were, of course. Mm-hmm. So there's, of course, the Wacky Races, uh, from 1968, and that was uh, they had about 11 cars that were really these bizarre cars. But they look, if you look at the wacky races, or yeah, the wacky races cars, and mm-hmm. you could buy a poster with all of them on it now. Uh, they look a lot like most of the cars that we've been talking about today. They're yeah. just that outlandish and that strange. Uh, there was, of course, Speed Buggy, which was in 1973. That's one I do remember. And, of course, the Wacky Races, too. Didn't think about this. You know, Scooby-Doo from the 1970s. I think everybody's familiar with Scooby-Doo, even now. Think about the Mystery Machine. Mm-hmm. That's a, a very 1970s custom van. There's that van trend, and it has the paint job just like it, you know, that rounded flower design on the outside and the colors that they used. And it's not a typical... It's not like a production van from some company. It's like a conglomeration of a bunch of things. Yeah, It's not one one type of van. It's like a, it's a big mix of everything. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that van points to the 1970s hot rods of the time, of course. There's also another, uh, okay, here's a, two of them that I had never really heard of. There's one called Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch. You ever heard of that no. one? I've never heard of Wheelie and the Chopper Bunch, but it's from 1974. And I guess Wheelie was a, uh, a Volkswagen Beetle that was red. And it was actually the character. That was the, the, the character. This is kind of like a Herbie the Love Bug. It was his own character. And the last one that I'll mention here is another one that I'd never heard of called Motor Mouse and the Auto Cat. You ever heard of Motor Mouse and the Auto Cat? That doesn't ring a bell either. No, I haven't either. That's strange. It's just such a strange... But the way it was described, and this sounds kind of funny, it's described as like like Tom and Jerry with hot rods. Okay. Sounds cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, what, what kid wouldn't love watching that, right? I, yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like right along my uh, my line of interest right there. I don't know why <laughs> I never tuned into, uh, what is it, Motor Mouse and the AutoCat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't in my market, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, since you're talking about pop culture and things that came out yeah. around when you were a kid. Yeah. In the 80s, I remember things like um, uh, the DeLorean yeah. from Back to the Future. And oh, then sure. um, the the Ghostbusters car. Oh yeah, this, the uh, Ecto, is it Ecto One? Yeah. is that the car? Yeah. yeah. Some of those are just seared into your memory, aren't they? Like, I mean, they're yeah. so memorable, they're so recognizable. And you know what? People are still building hot rods. People are still doing this today, and it's it's taken a different turn, of course. And there's a lot of different you know looks for hot rods through the years, as we said. You know, going from the 1950s to 60s, and then you know transitioning from each decade. Mm-hmm. And I, I know that you know a lot of what we talked about today has that overlap. It's the late 60s all the way through the 70s, and they even toured all the way into the 90s and then kind of went away. Mm-hmm. Or maybe the 80s, depend on, kind of dependent on the design and, you know, longevity of, you know, the design itself. Like the Red Baron could kind of hang on, but maybe the Love Machine couldn't hang on quite that long. Yeah. Or the Pink Panther Mobile or, you know, whatever it was. <laughs> but, but yeah, there's definitely a hot rod trend still happening today. And, uh, and I feel like you and I could have a good conversation about hot rods now, Mm-hmm. And uh, and really make something of it. So, do you want to talk about that maybe in a, in a future podcast? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of places to go. We kind of touched on it at the beginning, like the difference between hot rods and then these other type of cars that are more outlandish in design. Yeah, there's there's not nearly as much custom crazy chrome and, and electric paint work that's going on. You know, I don't think there's that's happening nearly as much as it was in the 1970s, mm-hmm. but I do feel like there's still some of that going on. There's still some builders out there that are doing some crazy designs, some wacky designs, I guess yeah. if you want to put it that way. Wacky. Yeah. I mean, that's a 70s term, right? But uh, it's a little uh, outlandish and, and kind of over the top. And uh, and I feel like you and I could probably dig up some of those and have a good conversation that people would like to listen to. So yeah. maybe we should do that. Sure. I oh. mean, even hot rodding the way that we think of it, cars of the late 50s, early 60s, it seems like now people want to take what's left of that era and preserve it. So now you have cars of the 70s and 80s, maybe trucks or Jeeps, sure. Broncos, things like that. For a hefty price. But, sure. I mean, you gotta, you, you'll you pay up for a lot of these. But there are <laughs> some that aren't as desirable that you can still pick up or that kind of that fly under the radar yeah that you can still pick up and restore and have a neat looking hot rod oh sure yeah and, and then again you know here's the other thing is that everybody's kind of got their own idea of what a hot rod is yeah. and i still think that there are hot rodders out there that kind of adhere to those uh, those original principles of, of you know what the kind of the original greaser uh, um group like i guess or, yeah, or something. yeah yeah like i think that the, and i say greaser i don't mean that you know in, in a disparaging way i mean that's what they're called but yeah. like you know the gassers you know the people that were into street racing for real or mm-hmm. you know they they were in these different car clubs. And I, I think everybody's got their own idea of what hot rodding is. Oh, what about rat rods? We didn't even talk about that. That's kind of, that's another thing that is kind of, um, it's dropped off recently. You know, yeah. when we first started car stuff, that was a huge trend. And we had a show about rat rods. You know, we, we saw them at shows. We saw them everywhere. You know, it was just, it was an interesting trend. And I still think they're out there, but it seems like you just hear less and less about them now. It's like, it's there's something new. And I don't know what the new thing is yet. I got to kind of look into that maybe. Yeah, it would be interesting. Interesting to explore that, though, for yeah, sure. Maybe we could get some feedback from folks about that. Yeah, what's what's hot rodding in 2019, 2020, and, and you know, the, the next decade? Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That might be interesting. We do have all of the social media contacts. If you want to contact us on uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, we are CarStuffHSW. And if you want to go to the show's website, of course, you probably already know this, but uh, it's carstuffshow.com, and that is where you can find our archive of, geez, almost 900 episodes at this point, um, including the one that we just recorded here with Kurt, and uh, and going back a couple of episodes with the new ones where it was just me struggling along alone. <laughs> maybe, maybe don't listen to those first few. <laughs> <laughs> or be kind if you do, knowing that it gets better, right? It, and it did get better. Um, <laughs> you can go there, and, and I'm sure that if you search, you know, search for any key term there that you uh, find interesting, you're going to find something you like. Because over the 900 episodes, we talked about 
just about everything. I mean, we really have, and we're going to continue that trend. And if you uh, like what you're listening to, if you if you want, you can tell your friends and say, hey, you know, I've got this show that I used to listen to, and I, I listen again, and it's called Car Stuff, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited about it. We're happy that you're here right now. Of course, we're always trying to add new listeners and, and would be happy to have any of your friends or family or anybody that you can recommend to come over and listen to the show. And uh, and last but not least, you can always leave reviews on Apple Podcasts or on the iHeartRadio app, and uh, you can do that wherever you're listening to your podcasts. We're just uh, we're just excited to be back and excited about the direction that we're moving with this, and uh, we hope you are too. And we're we're happy that you're listening. Thanks a lot. Thanks. Car Stuff is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, I'm Gabby Reese. Join me and my husband, big wave surfer, Laird Hamilton, on our journey with Laird Superfood. From our kitchen to yours, we've crafted delicious plant-based creamers, coffee, greens, and so much more using high-quality functional ingredients. Visit LairdSuperfood.com and use the code GABBY2024 for 20% off your first order.